0: Morning, church family. In case you didn't notice, my family and I were, uh, were gone for a couple of weeks, and so we're thankful for having an opportunity to have uh, some vacation. Uh, so we've been we were gone for a couple of Sundays, and it is good to be back with you. It's good to be up here looking around at your smiling faces, and uh, and appreciate you. Um, we we had a a very eventful vacation, a pretty busy vacation. Um, Really, at the end of the, at the, end of the story is, is that we made our way down to San Diego and back up here, uh, but taking two weeks to do that because there are stops all along the way for so many various friends and family, and uh, we were just uh, really thrilled and thankful to have great times uh, with a lot of people that are dear to us, um, and it was a lot of fun to be with them, uh, people we love, et cetera, lots of fun times were had. Uh, and, and, and yet, you know, as often is the case, I don't know what you experience, you get to the end of the vacation and you're ready to be home. And it was fun for us to discover only, yeah, okay, so this is us uh, uh, expressing our, our excitement of being home. That's us in our own driveway after, whatever, 2,700 miles back and forth. And, um, and, and so uh, that was it, was, it was good to learn that along the way for my wife and I in particular, for our whole family. Um, that while we love those people and miss those people and enjoy being away and having some vacation, uh, Dallas, Oregon is becoming home, is is home. And um, yeah, and and it was good to be back. And so uh, thank you for your love for us. And uh, there's our excitement in the driveway there, getting back to it. Uh, And I was ready to get back to serving. I was ready to get back in the office. I was excited to do what God has given me to do here. And so, uh, you know, wrapped up vacation and got back in the office, uh, ready to hit the ground running. There's lots of exciting things that God is doing around here, and I'm thankful to be a a part of it. Uh, And yet, uh, this week was not without challenges. Perhaps some of you, I know, Uh, experienced difficulties and hard things this week. Um, even though I was excited and even though I was ready to get back at it, uh, there were some frustrating things, some, some sad things this week, uh, some ways in which I think uh, Satan would love for me or our church family to be distracted, to be discouraged from what, he, what God is doing. And so I had to grapple with that a little this week and, and get my bearings again and fix my eyes on Jesus like we just sang. And, uh, and, um, and I found myself this week really thankful for you as a church family, and, and in particular, the, the many of you who ex- expressly express to us uh, your, your prayers for us uh, are huge, and I'm thankful, and they are, are part of uh, the way that God keeps me going. And so, um, but it's not just me, it's, it's many of you that are having hard weeks and, and, and facing different things, and and wondering where God is at. And and that's where church family comes into play. I want you to know this if you don't already know. That's where our prayers for each other are huge. That's where our care for one another is huge. That's where we can support each other. That's where as we focus on the mission, as we focus on loving God and loving others, then then we're going to be okay and we're going to be there for one another. And um, while the evil one might want to try to discourage me or or frustrate you or distract us as a church family from what God has given us to do, friends, the evil one is already under the thumb of God, and at the end of the story, he loses and Jesus wins. So, So I'm back to work, and I'm ready, and I'm excited, and I'm thankful and, uh, and, and the reason I'm excited is because of what God is doing in this church family. And even as we get into God's word in a moment, you're going to see that in the story of Esther, we, we see over and over that God's purposes prevail. That God is working to rescue a people, to transform us from the inside out. He has given, uh, he has, he has given us his son. He has called us to, to live for Jesus, to live and uh, in, in showing love to one another. And so I'm, I'm excited to be back because uh, God is moving in our church family and there's lots that's coming in the coming weeks uh, that we can, that we can uh, put our shoulder into together that we can uh, rally together to, to, to move things forward uh, to the glory of Jesus. So one of the things, I want to insert here real quickly, one of the things I'm excited about that's going on in our church family, you may have heard that we uh, recently needed to hire two new positions in our office. And so I've wanna, I wanna, I'm excited to be able to make that announcement. And before we get to that announcement, though, I want to let you know, I want to say some thanks to some people who have brought us this far. Um, and so let me mention a couple of people, and then I'd like you to thank them with your applause. Uh, number one is Jill Wyatt. She's right over here. If she just raised her hand a little bit. Jill has, uh, was on our staff team a couple of years ago, and then due to various needs the last couple of years, has just continued to graciously assist us where needed and train new people and continue to keep our books so above and beyond. Really thankful for you, Jill. And then over here is Lynette Geiger. If you are going to raise your hand for a second over there. Lynette has served on our staff team the last couple of of years as well, and life uh, changes, and she's got different priorities with grandbabies and things, and so uh, she's going to be transitioning off our staff team. That's why we have a couple of openings. Uh, And then, of course, um, I'm not sure if Melissa's in here at this moment. Melissa's not going anywhere, (laughs) but Melissa's on our staff team too, and so would you just thank those three for all their work for our church family? And then uh, filling in then our, our st- uh, staff team as we've been able to add some people. Uh, first, I want to introduce to you Sarah Russell and her family on the screen. Sarah's sitting right back over there. Yeah, yeah welcome. We're excited to have Sarah in the office three days a week, um, and uh, kind of f- fulfilling, as you see on the screen there, an office coordinator role. And uh, it's, been, it's been great getting to know her, and she's just jumped into the office this last week. So welcome, and thank you, Sarah. And, uh, and then, going um, to keep, gonna help us with our, some of our finances and our bookkeeping, Stephanie Earhart has joined our staff team. She's in the back over here, so welcome. So, I'm excited about that. So, thank you uh, for giving them a welcome and, and get a chance to chat with them later. Uh, oh, and um, you may know that we are also waiting on God to bring us a new full time uh, pastor and in, in to lead us in worship through music and, and other things in our church family. And uh, we've been giving you updates along the way. Uh, We started with uh, 10 or 12 applicants from all over the country. We have a search team who's been working really hard and narrowing things down, seeking the Lord, spending tons of time in prayer, uh, evaluating and interviewing and observing and all those things. And uh, it's exciting to report that while I can't yet give you a name, we are now focusing on one one person and trying to take the next steps with that person and and ask for God's confirmation if that indeed uh, will be the candidate that we the search team and and our staff and elders here will um, hopefully soon recommend to you so your prayers are continue uh, we continue to desire your prayers for that process for our team for our leaders and finalizing that decision and uh, excited for what God has for us as we bring uh, a new staff person on board in that role too so there's your update all right So far, so good? All right, grab your Bibles. If you don't already have it out, turn to Esther chapter 4. We're actually mostly going to be in chapter 5 today, but I want to pick up the story a little bit at the end of chapter 4. So if you need to use the table of contents, feel free. Uh, There's a big book in the middle of your Bible called Psalms. If you go there and take a left two books, you'll find Esther. Okay? Uh, We're going to be in Esther chapter 4 in just a moment. And uh, uh, while you turn there, let me just pray. Father God, we come to you as we always do when we open your word. We need you. We need you all the time, and we need you this morning to teach us from your word. Uh, so God, in the words of the psalmist, I pray um, that may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, prepare us to hear from you. We thank you that your spirit is at work, interceding for us, and and helping us to see you and to hear from you. So we pray that uh, as we study your word this morning, that it would not just be um, a story from a long time ago, but your very word to encourage us in 2018. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to start here at Esther chapter 4, verse 13 in a moment. Oh, by the way, for those of you that pay attention to these kind of details, the, uh, in the bulletin it says we're going to cover through chapter 6 changed my mind. Therefore, the sermon title, totally not applicable. Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna stay in chapter 5 today, and that's okay, because we'll, uh, we'll get to the rest of the story next Sunday. Picking up the story where we left off last Sunday with Pastor Ed, Esther chapter 4, verse 13. Um, and I guess before we read that, let me just say, uh, what's happening? For those of us that have been here, we've kind of been tracking with the story. If you've been in and out, I want to make sure you're aware of what's going on. Mordecai, Uh, Is Esther's uncle and Mordecai refuses to bow down to the number two man of the land, uh, King Xerxes or or King Ahasuerus, his right hand man Haman. uh, He was was supposed to be he deserved this respect and honor of being bowed down to. Haman did wherever he went, and Mordecai refuses. And because Mordecai won't bow down to Haman, uh, Haman's you know just simple you know basic expected response is I'm going to kill an entire. A nation of people. Haman is, is disrespected and then goes to King Xerxes and gets Xerxes or Hazaras to put out an edict that will slaughter the Jewish people. Basically a genocide uh, is, is authorized that will kill all of God's people. And, and we talked about this in the 9 a.m. hour um, is it just Gentiles, non-Jews, that are important to us because all, many of us are non-Jews? Or is it the history of the Israel, pe- the people of God, the people of Israel? Yes, this is why we study our Old Testament. This is why we see God's promises to his people. And then, and then how that comes to, those promises are fulfilled in Christ to us. So this, this true story from history does matter to us. And, and, the, and the, the plight of the Jewish people that are facing with this edict to, to authorize their slaughter concerns us. Okay, chapter 4, verse 13. This is where we were in God's word last Sunday with Pastor Ed preaching. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. So the uncle sends his, this message to his niece, Queen Esther. Do not think yourself to yourself that in the king's palace, just because you are queen, you will escape anymore... Than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. This is so cool. He's saying, you know, he's saying God is in control. God will rescue his people. And Esther, here's your chance to have a part in it. But if you don't do it, relief will rise from another place. But you and your, continuing verse 14, but you and your father's house will perish And and, and again, Mordecai says to Esther, who knows? Maybe you have come to this kingdom. Maybe God has brought you to your position as queen for such a time as this. What if you're right where God wants you? And, And that's a great thing for you and I to think about every day and any day. Am I here or in my life, or in my spheres of influence, with my relationships, for such a time as this? Are you, living in Dallas, Oregon, working where you work, or going to school where you go to school, or interacting with the people you interact with, for such a time as this? I say yes. God has you where he wants you, and he orchestrates all things according to his glory and for our good And he wants to work through us. And then we skip down to uh, the end of verse 15. Skipping down to the end of verse 15, it says, um, this is Esther's reply now to Mordecai. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Esther listens to Mordecai's suggestion that she needs to intercede, that such a time as this, that she has a role to play in God's saving his people. And she says, I will go. And if I perish, I perish. Why does she say that? It explained right in there. Because it is against the law for her to appear before the king uninvited. Ruthless, powerful, do what he pleases King Xerxes, And one of the rules that's in play is that you don't just show up in his court unannounced. Even the queen. And so she says, if I perish, I perish. Now, uh, Pastor Ed last week asked us the question, what has changed in Esther? And, And this is a good one to think about again this morning. What's changed in Esther? You know, how has she gotten to this point of saying, if I perish, I perish? Remember, God's people were living in the promised land in Israel. They were exiled out of the promised land and sent to Babylon. And then some years later, King Cyrus came into power while, while God's people were in slavery, in captivity in Babylon. And when King Cyrus came to power, he was a good enough king that didn't like keeping people as slaves. And so he said to the Jewish people, you may return to your land. You can, you can go home. You can go rebuild the temple in, in God's city. And so many devout followers of God went home. But not all of the Jews left. And so we were asking us this question a few weeks ago. We were asking, well, what's up with Esther and her family? Are they, are, are they not really following God? Because they just decided, eh, it's more comfortable here in Babylon. I'm used to this. I just want to keep things comfortable. And in fact, not just did they stay in Babylon, but they actually moved then to the capital of the new empire in Susa. And so... What's going on? Was she walking with God in the first place? Um, And and then we've seen in recent weeks, she and Mordecai are willing to hide their identity as Jews, as God's people. So that doesn't really sound like living boldly for God, does it? And now, she says, if I perish, I perish. What's changed? So... I'm thankful for uh, Pastor Ed teaching us from God's Word last week. We need to hear God's Word through others, and it's great to have, uh, to serve in a church family where we hear God's Word through our our capable teachers. So let's look now at today's passage. Uh, We're into chapter 5. Esther chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. What's changed? This is bold. What, what has changed with Esther? What has given her this boldness? What has uh, caused her to be willing to go before the king uninvited? Look, look back again at the end of chapter 4. Look back at verse 15, what I skipped over a few minutes ago. Verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast. This means not eating as a way of disciplining oneself to focus on God instead. Right? So she says, hold a fast and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast. Then I will go to the king though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I think what we see here, and we see on the screen, Isaiah 40, verse 31, I think we see here, perhaps, Esther waiting on the Lord. Maybe there's spiritual growth in Esther. I don't know. We don't get a lot of insights into the, in this, in the Bible. It doesn't give us a lot of insights into her heart and her thoughts and her motivation of why she did what she did. But, man, she went from hiding her identity to this boldness, and in between there was a fast where she focused her heart on God and asked others to pray and, and hopefully, we, I would assume, was listening for God's leading in her life. And so this should model for us the importance of what we call sometimes call spiritual disciplines, these practices that we can do to help us walk with God. We can read our Bibles, we can spend time in prayer, we can fast, and, and, there's, and there's many others. And these are, not, these are not like to-do lists to earn brownie points with God. Boy, if I fast for a number of days, I'm going to get extra points. That's not how our relationship with God works. But these are called spiritual disciplines because we discipline ourselves and, and, we, and we, are, we are intentional and we're committed in our relationship to learning about God so that we can hear from him. And So I want us to be Doing that too. So, if, if Esther was growing in this period of time before going to the king, uh, I want us to think this morning about where spiritual growth happens for you and I, too. Does spiritual growth just happen? D- does it happen uh, by attending for an hour on Sunday mornings? Sure, we hear from God's word, we, we lift up our voices in, in exalting Jesus. But but where does spiritual growth happen and and how can we be uh, committed to spiritual disciplines, those things? Um, For quite a while now in our church's history, in recent history, even before I was here, there's really been a shift afoot. Many of you are aware of this. There's really been a shift afoot from an emphasis on adult Sunday school at 9 uh, a.m. to perhaps other ways that we can grow as followers of Jesus and how do we as followers of Jesus become disciples, followers of Jesus, who make other disciples. And so there's, while, there's, while there's two or three uh, adult Bible fellowship groups that are thriving and enjoying each other's company and learning from God, and that's great, while that's the case, there's been decreasing attendance at 9 a.m. for adults, and um, there's been, there's been uh, leaders before I got here and since I've got here asking God to show us how do our, does our church family pursue our mission how do we make disciples who make disciples? How do we help people grow in their relationship with Jesus? I'm really thankful for our, a couple of our leaders, our elders, Marty and Grant, were up here a couple weeks ago, uh, teaching us and encouraging us about the importance of community in a church family, of being connected to other people, and not just sitting in a big room and rubbing shoulders for an hour but finding a place in a church family where you can really know others and be known. And so it was great to have them up here encouraging us on the importance of finding a place in a church family where we can grow spiritually, where we can interact with other Christians, and where we can work together to accomplish God's purposes in Dallas and beyond. How does God want us to make a difference with his love and the good news of Jesus in Dallas, in Oregon, and to the ends of the earth? And we want to help you find places within our church family to be connected where these things can happen. And so in a few more minutes, I'll talk a little bit more about some of the things we're excited about this, this fall, starting in September. Some things we're going we're to do together as a church family in an effort to help us become followers of Jesus who help other people follow Jesus. So Esther finds herself in the courtyard, in in the presence of the king, uninvited. What's going to happen? Verse 2. Chapter 5, verse 2. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. This is something we've heard over and over in the book of Esther. God's favor upon her. She won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand, indicating that she could approach. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to half of my kingdom. I'm convinced that she said, Hold on, hold on a second, and then sent this text to Uncle Mordecai. Whew! Whew! If I perish, I perish, but whew. Okay, maybe not. We see elsewhere in Scripture, Proverbs 21, 1 says this. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it. God turns it. The Lord turns it wherever he will. King Xerxes was a pretty scary guy. But that response was easy for God to bring about. What worries us, what prevents us from risking, as Pastor Ed talked to us last week about, these fears that would prevent us, these worries that would prevent us from risking for the sake of God's glory, no problem for God. So that brings us to really a key theological concept in this whole series, right? The thing that we've continued to talk about is God's providence. What is God's providence? And we talked about that in this series, and we're going to continue to. And so um, you guys remember the show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Well, you know, whenever a tough question would come up or a tough topic would come up on this, on this game show, you had the opportunity to phone a friend, right? Well, I'm gonna take advantage of an opportunity I have this morning that I don't always have. I got a friend in the audience and I got a tough topic, and so I'm gonna phone a friend. And so you got to meet him at 9 a.m. if you were here, but those of you that weren't, I wanna um, introduce to you my friend and mentor and one of my former professors. Um, would you just welcome up here Mark Sosi? I'm I'm phoning a friend. And you can have a microphone. Thank you. Okay. So this on the screen is what we've, we've discussed some in the recent weeks as, as a, hopefully, it's a simplified version of a, of a complicated topic, God's providence. And so we've written this, although often hidden and invisible, God sees all and his hand directs all things and all people. How? According to his glory and for our good. And so, uh, while I can phone a friend, while I've got a theologian in, in the house this morning, I thought I'd ask a question that I've heard raised before or I've, that I've wondered about myself. And I think it's, it strikes us sometimes as funny when we think of God doing things to his glory. Because I, what, what do you think of when I say you're doing that for your glory? Is it positive or negative? That's kind of a negative connotation, right? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm out for my glory. So, it, sometimes it might strike us as a little odd. Why, why is God at work for his glory? There you go. Well,
1: <laughs> the short answer is God's an egomaniac. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wrong answer, though. <laughs> Sounds kind of like it. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> you, you, you let up right. Uh, when we say that, for our glory, it is mm-hmm. negative. But I think the way I would unpack this is to ask, what does his glory mean? What does that mean? That's one of those phrases we, we talk around, toss around in church. Grace, uh, we use that. Glory, we use that. Do we know what really that means? And so uh, this would be how I would start going at that. And what is the glory of God? Well, he tells us in uh, Exodus 33, You remember, Moses made a bold request. He said, show me your glory. Whoa, there's mm-hmm. some chutzpah there. <laughs> Thirty-four comes in uh, the next chapter and God God initially says, You can't handle him, Okay? Mm-hmm. I won't. Thirty-four comes, God goes to do it. He puts him in the cleft of the rock and his glory passes by. And I don't know about you, but when I my impression of the word glory is something shiny. <laughs> okay, it's like flash, you know, like in that oh. Shrek movie where boo, you know, the light shine there and I'm a stallion now. <laughs> you know, that thing. In this Exodus 34, there's no shiny. It's just words. The Lord gives his name. 34, 6, and 7. And his name is like the Lord, the Lord compassionate, the Lord gracious. and mer- It's just attributes.
0: Mm-hmm. What's he like? What's he
1: like? There's his glory. Is his, and so God is after the reflection of his attributes to magnify them, to put them on display. And so, when the chief attribute is love Mm -hmm. and holiness, that's good for us. Mm -hmm. When he puts on display a heart of love for his creatures, that's not egocentric, that's radically other-centric and good.
0: Yeah, so when when his character is being revealed, in the world, when it's becoming more known and demonstrated, yeah, it's then not it's about not him. For, it's, it's not for about, his big-headedness. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's God always uses the particular to get the universal, and so He did it through a nation, and He will do it through. He's after the bigger picture, which is, which is other, and that's the nature of His uh, His glory. His so, as His glory focused. is
0: known, then, then we benefit, and and the world yeah. is is. A better place. Amen. Yeah. All right. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Yeah. I phoned a friend, and I'm, and I'm happy with the answer. Yes, yes. Now, now, if you could just move up here and then sit over there every, every Sunday, I'll, I'd phone a friend all the time. Right? Verse 3, and the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you even to half my kingdom. I mean, this is incredible. Xerxes is saying to Esther, name it. You got it. No limit. It's yours. Wow. Verse 4. Esther said, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman, his right-hand man, the number two guy, come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Wait wait a second. She wants him to come to dinner? That's, that's her big plan? It seems like the king just said, you can have whatever you want. Isn't this the part where she jumps in and goes, save my people? I would, I would have thought so. And she says, hey, why don't you guys come over to dinner? It, it seems like, you know, it doesn't make sense to us perhaps, but I think we're going to see, is she growing in her relationship with God? I don't know, maybe. Is she, is she learning to hear from him in her life? Does this, does this plan have God's fingerprints all over it? Is there wisdom in, in waiting and in doing things a little differently than we might have first thought? If we know one thing about Xerxes from the beginning of this uh, book, he likes throwing. He likes throwing parties. So Esther says, Wanna to come to a little party? Verse 5. Then the king said. Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Queen Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared, and as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, Okay, thanks for dinner. What's your wish? It shall be granted to you. He's he's given this opportunity again. And what's your request? Even to half my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. I'll give it to you. Name it. You got it. Verse 7, Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is... If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I'll do, as the king said. So she invites him to another dinner party. There, there's definitely times in the Bible and times in our lives where... Um, where a bold approach to follow God would be called for, would be appropriate. Um, But sometimes I think in the providence of God, uh, a more indirect approach might work a little better. Um, There are times for us to take a bold stand for Jesus. Uh, and, And it seems like she could have done that here. Just ask for what she wanted right out of the gate. But I think there's wisdom sometimes in a more indirect uh, approach. In other words, direct confrontation, friends, may not always be the best route. Even when I'm right. Even when I know what's going to happen. Sometimes the wisest response to conflict in the world, I think, is a more indirect, a more gracious, a more thoughtful, a more patient approach. Um, In your face, black and white, I'm right, this is what I need, this is what we're going to do, here's my opinion, everybody needs to hear it. Sometimes that kind of in your face approach is not uh, conducive to to discussion and to learning and to helping other people around us know more about this great God that we serve. And I, I think of that when it comes to our online interactions and are putting forth our opinions and comments on articles and on social media and and posting our opinions in stark, black-and-white, I'm-right terms, perhaps direct confrontation isn't always the best approach. Perhaps a more indirect, thoughtful, wise, patient approach would be called for. In the next chapter, we're going to find out that um, there's an event in chapter 6 that if it doesn't happen first... Esther probably doesn't get the response she's looking for from the king. In other words, if Esther had rushed or had jumped the gun on her request, would all you know, and of course we know God's in control. But it would seem that that the plan wouldn't have worked out as well. We'll see that in verse six, I mean in chapter six. So we've looked at this definition of providence, that God sees all and knows all, and that he's orchestrating all things according to his glory and, and for our good. So if God's in control, and, and, and Pastor Ed touched on this last Sunday, so if God's in control, does that mean that you and I are just all robots doing what God wants? Following him around, doing whatever he says, just, just kind of under his finger? Does, does God being in control, does the providence of God, the fact that he sees and directs and guides, does that mean that we are all just robots? Uh, God's plans... Proceed, yes, God's plans proceed through his actions um, and his according to his purposes. But this is really interesting as we watch the events of the book of Esther. They, they play out. God's plans proceed through the actions of people. Through the wishes of people. In, in the midst of the way they're wired or their temperament or their attitude, God still at work, right? And yet, what's happening is exactly what he decreed would happen. It's both and. It, it, we can't always understand it in our limited, finite human minds, but it's really a both and. Uh, if God is in control, are we just robots? Maybe, maybe we could say yes and no. Yes, God is in control. Romans 8, 28 reminds us that God is at work in all things for our good. But are we just robots? No. Because we act according to our own desires and personalities. Just like we see in our story of Esther. Just like Esther, Mordecai, Haman, Xerxes. They're not compelled to act against their wills. They're, they're acting in accordance with their personalities and, and, and their temperaments and their wishes and their thoughts. And yet, God accomplishes his purposes through that or even despite that. It happens as God Ordains. You with me on that? And that's why the Apostle Paul could write this in Philippians that we are to work out our own salvation. That there's a that there's an intentionality. That there's things we do. That there's that there's things we that we uh, that we that we are intentional about in, in pursuing our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But then it goes on to say, "For it is God who works in you. You're not just a robot. You're doing. You're thinking." Your person with God given will, but it's God who works in you, giving you the desire, it says up there, to give us both the desire and the ability to serve Him. Verse 9. So remember, Haman had got invited to one party with the king. Now he's invited to a second party with the king. And here's verse 9. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. Why? Because he feels important? Because he's just been included in this premier dinner party with the king and the queen. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and Mordecai neither rose nor trembled before him, Haman was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Do you see, did you see Haman's emotions there? Oh, I'm living up here, this is awesome, life's awesome. I mean, look at, look at Haman's emotions. His emotions are all over the map here. They're completely dominated by his idol. He has an idol in his life, an idol being something that is put in the place of God, something that is elevated to where God should be in our lives. And it sure looks like an idol in Haman's life is public recognition. Because when, when, the, when he gets invited to the dinner party, he's up here. When Haman won't bow down, he's down here. When he gets invited to the dinner party, did anything really change in, in related to his status? No, but he's stoked. When, he, when, he, when, Haman, when Mordecai won't bow down, did anything really change? No, but he's a mess. His joy and anger are outward expressions of his heart's idolatry. Things important to him instead of what should be important to him. And, and what's that look like for you and I? Do we watch our lives and our hearts for idols, for putting things in place of God, for holding other things in life, our accomplishments, our work, our relationships, our amount of money? Do we put things in place of God and our emotions are, are, are riding on whether those things are going good or not? Verse 10, nevertheless, Haman restrained himself somehow from hurting Mordecai and went home. And this is, is, (laughs) listen to this. Haman went home and he brought his friends and his wife Zeresh and he sits them down. And verse 11 says, and Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, I think his wife probably knows how many sons they have. He recounted to them how rich he is and how many sons and all the promotions that the king had honored him and how he had advanced above the officials and servants of the king. He's, he's bragging to his friends about all these things. Why? Because his emotions are riding on his idol of public recognition. Then Haman said, verse 12, Even Queen Esther... Let no one but me come to the king with the king to the feast she prepared. He's he's thrilled about this. He feels recognized. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Listen to him in verse 13. Yet this is all worth nothing to me as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Verse 14. Then his wife Zeresh and all of his friends said to him, Let a gallows 50 cubits high be made. This is, uh, I believe, 75 feet high. Overkill, maybe? Let a gallows 50 cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This is the advice he gets from his friends and his wife. This is how to take care of your problem. Right? Oh, you're feeling bummed about your public recognition? Here. Here. 75-foot-high gallows, hanged in the morning, good to go. When our friends come to us with their struggles and issues, how do we respond to them? Uh, When our loved ones or friends or or even those we don't know as well come to us uh, struggling with idolatry, struggling with things that they're holding more important in their life than they ought to, and and they start giving us glimpses of this, and they give us glimpses of their heart, that their heart is focused in places it shouldn't be. When when we're hearing these conversations, followers of Jesus, friends here, my church family, when you're hearing these things from other people, how do we respond? Do we sometimes jump in like like Zeresh and his friends and kind of go, yeah, you're right, you deserve more honor. You should quit that job. Your boss is a jerk. Is that where our advice goes? Do or, or do we just give you know practical advice? We read a good book and it has some good advice about how to get along with the king, so we gave him, we give our friend three easy steps to a good friendship with the king. Sometimes I think that's where our responses go, followers of Jesus. Sometimes I think when when people come to us with false impressions of what is important, with elevating things above God in their lives, and, and, and we have this opportunity to speak truth into their life about the good news of Jesus, that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we can have new life. That the good news of the Bible is that God rescues sinners. That the good news of the Bible is that he doesn't leave us in our mess, in our sin, in our failure, in our falling short of the glory of God He has sent his son to rescue us, and I think that we sometimes uh, just go along or give advice um, and don't point people to Jesus. And so um, I just would encourage you and me, let's not stop in those conversations. Let's not just stop at giving them good advice. Let's point to Jesus. Let's point to the only one who can rescue The only one that can transform and make new and bring about life, life now and life with him eternal. Uh, This this fall, we're going to, starting in September, we're going to start preaching through uh, a letter in the New Testament called Galatians. A letter that a leader in the church wrote to a church family in Galatia. And our series this uh, September is going to be called This Changes Everything. Because in, in, in the book of Galatians, the author writes to these people, hey, you know how to find life in Jesus. You found new life in Jesus through faith, through just trusting yourself to God. So, so, you, know, so you know how the Christian life starts. Don't think that the Christian life you know, only starts by faith, but now I try hard. Now i got to do stuff and try hard and earn God's love, and it's all about me now. Yeah, thanks, God, for rescuing me back then, but I'm going to do the rest on my own. I got this. Thank you. Some of us do that. And the book of Galatians says, foolish Galatians, what you began by faith, are you now trying to continue by your hard work? No, we're to continue in faith continue entrusting ourselves to God. In other words, the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done to rescue sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, what, what happens here is, is this changes everything. The gospel isn't just for our past. It has implications now and into the future. And so um, as we study the Galatians in September, we're going to also, uh, during, on Sunday mornings, be talking about some concepts of, of what's called gospel fluency. And Pastor, if you were here last uh, week, you saw a video, and Pastor Ed talked a little bit about it. But why should we want to be fluent in the gospel? Why do we need to understand and be able to speak the language of the good news of Jesus? Uh, And that's what we're going to have a chance to do then, is we're going to hear these sermons, we're going to hear some of these concepts of becoming more gospel fluent, and then we would love every one of you to join a small group for 10 weeks, September through November, where you can have a place during the week to discuss with other people some of the things we talk about on Sunday morning. We would love all of you to do that. We would love to talk about Galatians together on Sunday morning, and then we would love to have all of you in a small group so that we can discuss and apply to our lives, not just kind of hear in one ear, out the other ear about Galatians, but come and talk with other followers of Jesus about what does this mean in my life and how do I apply some of these things. And um, I just, I can't tell you how excited I am about this. Because the gospel rescues us from sin and death and hell. But the gospel, Jesus, by his work, can also continues to transform he is making me new. I am not the man I once was. I am in process. I am not perfect. But Jesus is making me new. And I want that for you. And if, and if we don't understand the gospel, if we don't wrestle with the good news of Jesus, it, then are we experiencing that new life? Are you experiencing transformation into the likeness of Jesus? And get this one. If we don't understand the gospel to where we get that it's good news. If the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, death and resurrection on our behalf, if that isn't good news to me, then why would I tell anybody else? If it's not good news to you, if you haven't been captivated, if you're not still captivated, not just 20 years ago when you became a Christian or 2 years ago or if you're not still captivated by the good news, Of transformation into the likeness of Christ. Life now, rich, meaningful, full, not perfect, but life now, walking with Jesus and life eternal in the presence of the great God, that needs to be captivating still. And if it's good news to us, church family, then, then Dallas is gonna hear about it. And you know what? It won't be scary. It'll happen naturally. As we become more gospel fluent, it won't be like, oh, evangelism. I don't like that. I'm nervous. I can't talk about Jesus. As our lives are transformed, as we become more gospel fluent, it'll happen naturally in conversation and in relationships and in, and in easy, everyday ways because God is with you as you interact with others. And each of you, church family, Each of you is a spirit-empowered minister of the gospel. You don't need a professional pastor with you to share Jesus with your neighbor. You are a spirit-empowered minister of the gospel, and God wants to transform you because the the, the gospel changes everything. And as the gospel changes everything, um, God will work in us and help us to share that good news. So let me invite you to stand, and we're going to worship through music here in a moment. And, uh, but let me invite you to stand, as we, uh, and the worship team can come forward, please. And the ushers can be prepared. I'll hand off to you ushers in just a moment. <clears throat> One more quick thought for you as we close. I want you to think back to the, to the end of chapter 4 where we started. What, what, what did it feel like to come before King Xerxes, King of Ahasuerus? It caused fear and trembling. Xerxes was ruthless and powerful, and it was against the law to even go into his presence uninvited. And that should have caused fear and trembling and, and probably not even trying to access the king because of fear of death. Well, friends, unlike King Xerxes, the true king, our great God, is a loving father who has an open door policy. You can come before the throne of our great God. You know how? By the blood of Jesus. We can't earn our way there ourselves. You're not, you're not good enough. You don't go to church often enough. You haven't read your Bible enough. Your trying hard, doesn't cut it. But Jesus lived the life that we can't. He died the death that we deserve. And he raised victoriously over, he was raised victoriously from death so that we might have life. Through Jesus, as you see on the screen, Hebrews verse, we have access to the throne. Hebrews says, let us, let's read this aloud together. And then let's worship through music. Let's read this together. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You don't have to be afraid of going before your king. Jesus has paved the way. So let's go to the throne of grace where the good news of Jesus abounds. Let's worship him and the ushers will come and receive our gifts now too.